0: The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Most listeners to this show already understand that near-death experiences are not the product of anesthesia or optic nerve damage or the hallucinations of the dying brain. The evidence is overwhelming that our eternal essence, call it our soul, leaves the dying body and travels to another place, a place often described in terms of incredible beauty, enlightened beings, and love. At the same time, such experiences can be remarkably personal, in that uh, generations of family members may be there to greet us, not to mention our own Religious icons such as Jesus and opportunities to uncover the nature and purpose of love seem to abound. People often return to their bodies with the distinct impression that this world is but a shadow of the spiritual reality they have seen on the other side. Where do we go with what an NDE teaches us? Almost universal is the realization that the nde no longer fears death. Moreover, they may have gained a heightened capacity to love and care for others, as well as an enlarged perspective on how best to use their time. But is there a theological understanding of what the near-death experience has to say? Where is the spiritual home on earth for the near-death experiencer? Most traditional religions don't want to talk about it, or any form of personal mystical experience for that matter. The holy books are full of such stories, of course. And those stories are open to discussion, but personal mystical experiences, spiritually transformative experiences, visions, healings, prophecy from a relative or the neighbor down the street, your average minister or priest will probably tell you that has to be a psychological aberration. And yet, ND ears know in their hearts, God is still talking to us. Our guest today, Robert Perry, is a scholar who has explored the link between personal mystical experience and the universal spiritual understanding we traditionally call theology. Robert is the lead editor of the new complete and annotated edition of A Course in Miracles, which is based on the original handwritten notes of Helen Schuckman, the visionary we'll be talking about in a minute. Robert is uh, one of the course's teachers as well and currently lives in England. He's the founder of the Circle of Atonement, has authored or co-authored over 20 books and booklets on the Course, as well as hundreds of articles, including an article he co-authored about near-death experiences and A Course in Miracles for Ion's Journal of Near-Death Studies, Volume 32, Number 4, which came out in the summer of 2014. Robert has also lectured throughout the U.S. and internationally. So, Robert, welcome to NDE Radio.
1: I'm so honored to be here. <laughs>
0: well, I'm we're honored to have you. Um Robert, let's let's begin with um Helen Shuckman's subway vision and how the Course and Miracles came to came out of that. Can I just welcome
1: you, Lee? <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: okay, what was your question? <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, the um uh, that vision that Helen Shuckman had in in the subway uh, might have been some sort of spiritually transformative experience that ultimately led to her uh, becoming the scribe to Jesus as she believed it, it happened. So I thought maybe you could tell us that story.
1: It's a fascinating story. Uh, Helen ultimately became a research psychologist, but throughout her life, she wrestled with the issue of God and was prone to various kinds of unusual even spiritual experiences and perhaps the most uh, remarkable and profound one happened when she was probably around night uh, around 30 um, this would be in the late 1930s and she was riding the subway which she was not accustomed to doing and, uh, apparently the, a taxi was not available at the time. Her husband more or less forced her to ride the subway, which she considered beneath her. And she found herself repulsed by the, uh, the various people on the subway. You know, they were, they were messy and sweating and, and she was so repulsed that she closed her eyes to shut the scene out. And when that happened, she had this vision spring up behind her closed eyes. She saw a, an image of herself as a child walking into this brilliant light. Uh, and what the child then did was first prostrate herself before the light. Then she got up, walked toward the light as if it was a completely familiar thing, completely comfortable. And then she saw the child kneel down and lean her head as if against a giant knee, even though there was no hard shape, there was a sense of a knee. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she had this, the, uh, a sense of a, an outline of a great arm reach around her uh, in an embrace. And wow. then the child disappeared into the light. The light grew incredibly bright. Um, waves of it came out towards Helen. Uh, and there were, with these waves, there was an incredibly intense sense of love. It was so intense that she felt like she had to escape from that scene. She opened her eyes, and of course now she's back seeing the same, you know, grimy subway scene that she'd seen before, only now she felt incredible love. The the love that she felt from the light she felt towards all those people she'd been repulsed by just a moment earlier. And then it faded um, and everything returned to normal. And she mentioned it to her husband sitting next to her. And he said, oh, it sounds like a common mystical experience. Pay no attention to it. And she tucked it away for many years. Wow.
0: Did she ever think that perhaps as a child she'd had a near-death experience? Um there might not even have been that kind of language for the for it back in the 1930s, but um, did she ever fl- wonder about the origin of that was 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 it a current event and she was just just saw herself as a little child being taken into god 's light
1: or I don't think, well first of all, she died in 1981, just a few years after NDEs reached public consciousness. So I don't mm-hmm. think she thought in those terms at all. And I'm not aware of any experience she had as a child, like a medical emergency or, you know, she momentarily was clinically dead. I'm not aware of anything like that. I think, I think the child was just symbolic of, you know, the innocence within
0: her. Okay. That, that that makes sense uh as well. Um, I uh as I mentioned before the show, I downloaded a a short summary of the teaching of a Course of Miracles, which is available on uh your Circle of Atonement uh website.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, it lists well I should say uh a Course in Miracles offers a unique approach to the healing of human suffering. Uh Following an educational uh versus religious model of learning, the course provides a pathway out of our suffering through the disciplined practice of love and forgiveness can't go wrong with that <laughs> um and the following provides a very brief overview of the course's profound and sophisticated thought system and um i as a matter of fact, I should mention that uh years ago, my brother decided yeah. to buy the first book in the series. And he said it was so dense that he couldn't get through it. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he told me that story the other day. That was was before you did your revision, I guess.
1: But anyway. Well, it's not the easiest book to understand. Yes. And I probably should just tell a little bit about the origin of it just before we dive into the teachings. Absolutely.
0: Yes, I meant to ask you about that.
1: Yeah, so so Helen went on, as I mentioned, to become a research psychologist. She worked with a colleague, uh, Bill Thetford, who became integral to the birthing of A Course in Miracles. And she worked with him at Columbia University, um, specifically at uh, the College of Physicians and Surgeons and also the Presbyterian Hospital there in New York City. And they worked for about seven years together and had a very contentious relationship. In fact, all of their relationships within the psychology department that they worked with, with other medical centers, other departments, it was just conflict everywhere. <clears throat> and finally, in 1965, uh, Bill, before a particularly difficult meeting that they had regularly, um, made a kind of pre-planned speech to Helen in which he said, essentially, there must be a better way. And he proposed that they try out a way in which they would essentially try to cooperate rather than compete, look for the best in people, point out the positive, essentially try to get along. Um, And Helen, surprisingly, decided that she would join him in this. And they knew, even though this was not a spiritual event by any normal definition, uh, and that <clears throat> nothing mystical happened, they knew it was some kind of life-changing moment. Uh, and it seemed to trigger... It, it did end up transforming their department and their professional lives, but at the same time, it triggered this other stream of results where Helen began having inner visions and also uh, paranormal, like psychic, experiences. Mm. And... <clears throat> These inner visions were fascinating. They they pictured her in in various past times. Um, many of them featured a mysterious book that kept showing up. One time the book was brought by a stork. Another time the book she unearthed a, a, a treasure chest from the bottom of a canal. And when she opened the treasure chest, all that was in it was this book. Um, so she were was having this series of of interesting experiences uh in dreams uh she tried to meditate it happened then and all of this culminated in about four months uh to a moment when she heard an inner voice which had been showing up here and there in her inner visions but this inner voice said this is a course in miracles please take notes and so she began to take down shorthand notes in in her notebooks uh recording what this voice said and it began dictating a series of miracle principles and slowly an entire uh, voluminous spiritual teaching came out of this process over a period of about seven years um what first came out was a, a volume called the text and it's the longest part of a course in miracles uh then came a workbook which has basically a series of lessons, one for each day of the year, um, and instructions for for very detailed spiritual practice. And then the third volume was what's called a manual for teachers, intended for those who've gone through the text in the workbook and will now take on some kind of role, at least as demonstrations of the principles in the world and so the course itself consists of three volumes text workbook and manual for teachers and it's essentially um a spiritual program in higher development focusing on the teaching of forgiveness which it interprets in in its own particular way but that's its central focus is forgiveness and it is very uh the course is very sophisticated not easy to follow and that's essentially why I have a job, because I'm an interpreter of the material. I, I, I try to help students understand it and apply it in their lives.
0: Mm. Now, she believed that
1: she was being given this course by Jesus. Is that correct? That's She believed that, and that's how the voice spoke. Uh, and it is a very controversial claim. I think a lot of course students... Accept it, but also there's a certain sense of we don't want to get too much into that Jesus figure because we associate him with traditional religion, and which many course students have have felt you know somewhat scarred by. Um, for myself, I think it's a it's a fascinating claim to take seriously because there are some really interesting parallels between the author of the Course in Miracles, whoever he was or it, whoever it was. And the historical Jesus as uncovered by modern scholarship. Yeah. Well, perhaps
0: we could get into the short summary. Um, unless there's uh, something more you wanted to add to the development, how this has evolved.
1: Uh, I think that's probably sufficient. Yeah. Just, just the sense of the course is, is both a book and a spiritual path.
0: Okay. Well, the, the first, uh, the first topic is a uh, simple one god (laughs) right Uh, and you say everything begins with god what how does um the course um understand god
1: well one of the things that i find really fascinating is the more i understand the course's teachings about god the more incredibly similar the God of a Course in Miracles sounds to the God that NDEers experience in their NDEs. So God is is ultimately, you know, non-physical, of course, uh, beyond gender, not really male or female. I guess both. Um, God is the Creator. God is is alive, aware, um, has a will, has thoughts, has feelings, um, and yet. In the Course, God is absolutely pure love, not a hint of judgment or anger or wrath. Um, And so God, from the standpoint of A Course in Miracles, is an absolutely safe, loving, attractive being that we feel an attraction to at our core, innately, uh, and in fact, one of the one of the things that um, fascinates me about about uh, NDEs in relation to A Course in Miracles, is that you often hear stories in in someone's NDE where they they see the light, which is you know most often described as as God, and they feel this incredible attraction towards the light, and they and they feel themselves going towards the light because of this attraction. And the Course talks about something very similar in terms of what it calls the the pull of God, this overwhelming pull we feel towards God, that is innate in our nature.
0: Mm-hmm. Do uh, does the Course acknowledge that there is a part of God in in us as well as and p- perhaps in all aspects of the material world? I mean, is there a notion of a of an infused consciousness? in
1: existence oh very much so yes um, what the course teaches is that god and this is this is a very unusual teaching is that god creates only spiritual realities so from the courses standpoint he created each one of us but not as humans with bodies but as limitless s- spiritual beings um, who partake in god's nature who are inherently one with god um, and uh it's the course teaching that that's how that's that's our true nature and then we went through a process of falling asleep to that and then experiencing ourselves as human beings so it's not so much that we have an element of god in us it's that in our true nature we're in a sense made of God's nature he created us out of his own nature so we're we're completely spirit and completely divine
0: which would mean there there should be a tremendous attraction between us and and God and, right uh, of course that love is the is i guess the way we we give voice to that or or put a um a a quality to it um if um if that's the case then um how does the course deal with the question of free will does it see that we have it i mean does it or or is it something that we are just fooling ourselves into thinking we have
1: yeah the course does teach that we have free will um, mm-hmm. and that that the process of choice is is just central to our experience we are here on earth to learn how to choose rightly uh and Basically, that's how we got here in the first place. The course sees that or teaches that there was a primordial separation whereby we used our power of free will to turn away from God um, and to fall into a dream of being apart from God. Um the course says we can't be apart from God. We're we're all in God right now. Um we're not really in this world, in these bodies, we're just dreaming that we're here but it's our use of free will that got us in this dream and then it's it's meant to be our use of that same free will that ultimately chooses our way out of this
0: okay now we've jumped into this interesting topic of uh the world is a dream right um if the world is the we live in is a dream what responsibilities do we owe to it being only a dream and uh, also to one another
1: good question uh from the courses standpoint the world's the forms of the world um, are figures in a dream the bodies the the physical objects the things in nature but associated with those forms especially like human bodies and animals and so on um, are those god-created minds that are really divine that are really limitless that are really with God and in God right now and are themselves dreaming. So it's not just that it's all unreal. The mind that we are is real. The mind that other people are is real. The minds that are in animals and even plants and all those things are real. And so there there is a responsibility towards those minds. They have value. They're they're part of God. They're ultimately part of us too. Um, and so from the course's standpoint, we have a tremendous responsibility in this world. Um, in fact, when you know the title is a Course in Miracles, the main sense of that title is that a miracle is an expression of love. We're here to give miracles, which means express love to others, so that we have a healing, and illuminating, and loving effect on them. Mm-hmm. Now Andy
0: Ears often see heaven as a as a perfect world, as an Eden, basically. Beautiful forests and fields and flowing streams and and flowers that uh are luminescent. They're so they're so alive with love. Um but I, I think I heard in one of the lectures that or or maybe the conversation you had with Corinne um in you know, that YouTube that um the lower heavens are formless and they're a dream as well.
1: Okay, yeah. So from the Course's standpoint, what it calls heaven would be the very, very highest level in which there is no form, there are no bodies, there are no forests, there's there's no flowers. Um, it's just pure oneness. And there, in that heaven, there is some kind of distinction between us and God and between us and each other. But it's a distinction within oneness. Um, and so the kind of afterlife, I think that would correspond uh, really to when people are just, when NDEs are just immersed in the light, when there's just nothing but them in the light, that would be like what A Course in Miracles calls heaven. When you have the more, you know, idealized earth kind of afterlife experiences in NDEs, the course would say that those are still a collective dream. And I think that there's some sense that that's the case where, you know, things, there are some NDEs, for instance, where it's clear that that those environments are malleable depending on the mind, that they're in some sense mind created. Um, so the course would see those as still a level of the dream, a higher level than this earth, but still part of some larger kind of dream however um there is a parallel uh there's just such a number of amazing parallels in my view between a course in miracles and ndes and one of them is about those afterlife environments because as you mentioned you know the flowers are often alive with some kind of consciousness and often seen as or experienced as loving the NDE, -er, where everything in the environment is is actively loving that end of year. Mm-hmm. And that's very much like what A Course in Miracles calls the real world. Um, it talks about this, this concept, the real world, so where even in this world, if we could really open our eyes, our spiritual eye, you could say, um, we would see this world that way. We would realize that there is a consciousness in everything that regardless of how you know, it may look on the surface or even feel towards us on the surface is actually divine and is actually loving us. Mm. So if we saw the real world in this world, we would experience it very much like NDEers experience those afterlife realms that you talked about.
0: Some of those descriptions parallel um, uh, people's experiences on LSD and ayahuasca. Um, Unfortunately, those aren't typically available for psychological and spiritual exploration. They've become, you know, uh, a way of wasting time and wasting lives. But the the power to change a perspective on something like the consciousness of a flower is uh, is probably available to us through meditation, if not through if not through uh, LSD
1: and uh, through all kinds of means.
0: Yeah. And uh, it, it is there. It's uh, and uh, all we all we have to do is work at it. Uh, it's too bad it doesn't come more easily. But then perhaps we wouldn't value it so highly when we do see it.
1: Um, yeah, and and I think those experiences are more common than than perhaps we realize. But it's also why I think we we should value people like Helen Shuckman, like Andy Ears, who have had glimpses of something more. Yes.
0: Well, spiritually transformative experiences can come from anywhere at any time, uh, including including uh, psychedelics. I know I've, I know people who have changed their lives on the for the better
1: on on the account of that. Sure, and uh, some very serious and spiritually oriented work is is being done with them these days.
0: Yes, they're beginning now at Johns Hopkins. They're working with uh, LSD again and and some other things to uh, to yeah. open up that part of the brain that that's. Uh, or normally closed down. Yeah. Um, yeah. St. Paul said he went to the third heaven in his NDE, uh, which was described as the Garden of Eden. And, uh, th- th- this garden idea is so, um, so powerful in NDEs and so personally rewarding that it, it, you'd almost think it would turn people off to think that it's, that's a dream as well. Uh, do you get that kind of reaction from
1: your students? Uh at times I think most of my students aren't thinking so much in terms of what do we think about you know afterlife experiences. Uh I think though that if if we imagine that you know life in this world, which we're very familiar with, can be very difficult, um that's why you have so many endy ears, for instance saying, I don't want to go back. Uh and then you know you get to Uh, a, a realm like those afterlife environments that's so much happier and more joyful and peaceful and loving and if we can imagine that progression not stopping there but it just keeps going and going and going so that the joy and the peace and the love keep you know becoming more and more unbounded and and more and more without limit then we can think well It's not like taking away the forms is is a is a deprivation. It's actually a case where it allow it it means that what we really want, the joy and the peace and the love, is simply becoming less bounded. Yes.
0: Robert, I'm afraid we're out of time for today, but um you have agreed to come back for our next show and we're gonna pick up the conversation from where we're leaving off right now. Um my thanks to you for today, Robert, uh, for sharing um, uh, the story of, uh, well, uh, Helen's story for sure, and, uh, and the story of this Course in Miracles as well, and we'll pick it up next week. Um, Robert, tell our audience how they can find out more about the Course um, and uh, and how to find your website.
1: Yes, uh, the website is, its the, the organization is the Circle of Atonement, which is a term from the course. And the website is circleofa, short for Circle of Atonement, dot org. And you can learn there more about A Course in Miracles, more about the new edition that we've published based on Helen's uh, shorthand notes, and just more about our teachings and, and offerings.
0: Terrific. We'll pick this up next week. If you'd like to listen to this show again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. For information on IONS. check out their website at iands.org. And join us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.